Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay. You can find He Seemed Normal on Amazon. It's available now. Please go and check it out and get the book. All right, so thank you for sitting with me today. I'm going to start off with, you know, Jesse, and you spent time when Jesse was going through a lot of the, the struggles that we were going through. Is there something that you took from that? What? Let me just ask in separate parts because I had two, two different ways I wanted to go. Did it make you look at the way you wanted to be a parent when you were observing? And and how did it make it? Even if it's something that's insulting to me, I'm okay with that. But how how did it did it mold any of your parenting what you wanted to do? And if so, how did it change the way you wanted to do it? It definitely molded uh the way I wanted to parent. And then when I had kids of my own, I realized that maybe some of those thoughts weren't as on as I thought they were at the time. So at the time I didn't have any kids um, and I would see the outbursts and there were a lot. And and I kind of come from a background of outbursts are not okay. They're not healthy, they're, they need to be avoided. And so it's kind of stop them at all costs. And I felt like a lot of times you didn't. And that was frustrating to me because I'm like, hey, we're at church. He should be behaving. Or, hey, we're in public. He should be behaving. And, and I would want to take a much more stern approach to it. And there was one time in particular where I was, I was just holding him. I wouldn't let him go until he was going to calm down. And surprise, surprise, he didn't calm down. And you came over and took over. And I was really, like, annoyed because I was like, I was taking care of that. I was doing you a favor. And then you just kind of stepped in and... It's like, okay, it's your kid. You can do what you want. But, like, I don't even know if I want to help if, like, you're going to undermine what I'm trying to do. Um, fast forward many years later, I have my own son who's prone to outbursts. And I have my own experiences that have taught me that that's completely normal for a kid and is actually really healthy. I, I'm actually more worried when kids don't have outbursts versus if they do. Um, and so now I look at what you've done with him. And <clears throat> he's grown into just an incredible young man. And those things went away on their own through love and nurture and teaching him about who he is, mm-hmm. not because you forced it out of him type of thing. Well, the funny thing is, is, and I don't know if I've mentioned this on past episodes, but I'm going to mention it now because it's appropriate. I was really upset with him, like not even a year ago, like six months ago. And I said, you cannot just go in the other room and avoid me. You're going to talk to me. And he said, mom. You have spent my whole life teaching me that if I need to calm down, I need to go to a room. You need to leave me alone and let me go do it. And I went, whoa, all right, you know what? He's right. He was doing exactly what I told him to do since he was very little. And I I threw my hands up and I said, okay, Jesse, you go go get it. Because I knew I did tell him to do that. And then I can't just turn around and say, now you're not going to. That was his thing. So... It was a pro- it was a process, but I feel like he has it. Yeah. Just sometimes I don't remember it. So. He's, he's figured out how to self-regulate the behavior. Exactly. But it wasn't because somebody forced him into those mm-hmm. things. It's because he figured out what worked for him. 
And, and I think that's a really important thing. Uh, I think that when we try to pretend like those emotions aren't there and try to push them down and try to just go on as if they don't exist, we actually exacerbate problems worse. And I think in the, with a person who has autism, I think it actually makes their symptoms worse when they're trying to push down those emotions. And so I think it's healthy for them to find ways to self-regulate, deal with them themselves, but not, not like where they're being forced against their will. Like they, they've got to find their peace. And mm-hmm. when they find their peace, they can really thrive. Well, and really just to make the point, I would have loved nothing more than if you just would have stopped on Sundays because it was so stressful. And I was so sweaty because it was so hot trying to keep this kid who was very strong from hurting himself and others. And that is a time I don't want to ever have to go back to, but I feel like it helped me in my future when I had to work with students and not that I was holding the students down, but that I could understand that they're going to get past this and they're going to regulate themselves and everything's going to be fine. And it helped me to kind of see that I can step back. So did you find that you had any thing that might have helped you now that, no, I don't want to say that because I don't want to go. We're not bringing Okay. So you did not know that you had autism when you were a child. I want to mention something about that really quick because I have a thought and I wanted to hear your thought because there was the new and old you. And I think it was a great approach, except it did not teach you to deal with your emotions. It kind of taught you to, I have to be the old one and not be the new one. And it didn't really compartmentalize why you were feeling that way or what you can do to feel better. Am I off on that? Do you think it helped? Or do you think that maybe it was a good approach, but it had a a missing piece like I do? So let me start by just clarifying what it is you're talking about. Okay. Um, So I was, as a child, outburst like crazy. Um, I kind of was just a super pleasant kid majority of the time. And then when I would explode, I would explode. And there was no stopping the tantrum. That's for sure. And uh, so my parents would say that the new Jared has come and he's really loud and obnoxious and difficult and not really pleasant to be around. And so they would send me to the room and say, we want you to go into your room until the old Jared has come back. The one that we love. That's really kind and nice and gentle and everything like that. And so I would go into my room and I would have fights with the new Jared. So the old Jared and new Jared would fight over who was going to be in charge And eventually the old Jared would get the new Jared to back off and then I would come out and I'd be really pleasant and kind and nice and wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was a regular occurrence. I remember. Up until about two, uh, a year and a half ago, I felt like it was some of the best parenting that had ever been done. Like I felt like my parents were just spot on because they taught me how to be calm all the time. Like as... Growing up, you very rarely would see me angry or lose my temper or yell at somebody or anything like that. I was just very easy going and everything like that. But there was a problem with that. Mm -hmm. And that was that I was burying all emotions. I was burying everything so that I could be centered and easy and pleasant to be around. And that's what that process taught me, is it taught me that I'm not valued when I'm in tantrum mode, I'm valued when I'm well-behaved and doing what I'm supposed to do. 
And so I had to be that well-behaved person always because I did not feel like my parents would love me if I was in tantrum mode. I don't think that's true. Right. But as a young six, seven-year-old kid, that was the message I was coming out loud and clear. And so for most of my life, I pretended to be what I felt people wanted me to be because I felt like people wouldn't like authentic me. They wouldn't like the me that maybe loses his temper sometimes, the me that might yell a little bit and things like that. And I think there's actually a lot of damage done there because I, if, if I felt like I was being taken advantage of, I would just let it be. Oh yeah, because if we wanted something and we didn't want to do it, you would do it for yeah. us. You were a people pleaser growing and I, up. And I would never like say, hey, I, I really don't appreciate you're taking advantage of me. I'd just do it. And then I'd go in my room and be super resentful and hate every single one of you because you take advantage of me, but I'd never say it. And the new Jared, he wasn't a bad person. He was my protector. He was the one that was being loud and obnoxious because guess what? I'm being taken advantage of and I'm going to get your attention somehow and this is how I'm going to do it. And I think if I had gotten the attention... I wouldn't have needed the new Jared as much, and I probably would have been able to self-regulate anyways, but I instead took the approach of kicking the new Jared out, and I no longer had a protector. And so through most of my adult life, I have been walked over and like pushed around because to stand up for myself is to risk being the new Jared, and that's dangerous. So you don't do that. I agree. <clears throat> so that's what I, I was thinking about that, and I was like, I'm going to bring that up. Because I think we had very similar thoughts then about the situation. And for the record, I loved the new Jared because he had that spunk that the all the time Rachel always had. So I kind of liked it. So that I'm glad to see that we thought the same thing on that. Because I really do think it was intended with love. And I think it was intended because they did not know what they didn't know, which is my slogan for autism jammer burst so i had to put that out there because we didn't know and so we did the best we could now we do know so neither one of us will be doing that approach and when you have a kid who's throwing such a massive tantrum that they actually become a danger to themselves or others there's an urgency of safety of everybody this behavior needs to stop now right and so it can be really really hard in that moment to let them be destructive mm -hmm. But I think especially with kids with autism, there's a certain level of you have to find a safe way to let them be destructive so that then they can process and learn mm -hmm. because they have a really hard time doing the turnaround, the quick turnaround. Like, oh, go, they can't like go calm down. It's going to take me at least an hour to calm down. I'm not going to I'm not going to calm down just because you said so. Mm -hmm. But if you give me some time to be destructive, wear myself out a bit, cry a bunch like empathically feel emotions and complete the cycle, eventually I reach a point where I'm calm now. And if I can learn to process those emotions better, then the tantrums become fewer and farther between and they become less aggressive. Less intense. Less intense. And right. so as a result, it's like, it's really difficult in the moment when they're doing it, but I think it's important to validate what they're feeling and give them a safe space to progress. And then, and, and this is something that I've only, I think just recently learned, but I think is critical to all of it, is when they have a tantrum, the tendency is to want to be like, discipline, 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 wrong, mm -hmm. wrong, I was wrong, just gonna bad, make a comment bad, about bad. that. Mm -hmm. And yet, it really should be, hey, you used to have a tantrum three times a week. 
Now you have you haven't had one in a month. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this was a pretty bad tantrum, but hey, you are amazing. Congratulations mm-hmm. for going so long with it. And instead, we flip the script where it's like instead of them feeling bad because they had a tantrum, they feel good because they're like, oh my goodness, I can I, do mm-hmm. this. I can be successful. I can do hard things. Yes. The thing is, is also on that note, is when they're done, is not the time to lay into them about anything. I mean, you could talk about it, or you can say, do you, do you, do you realize what happened there? And kind of discuss what led up to it and what might have caused them to melt down. But not to make it something where now they have to feel shame and they have to feel bad that they... I just make them clean up the mess. And that goes along with being in a classroom when I was or my own personal children. I just want you to clean up the mess. And I would say that to a student. I would say, you know what? I'm just really happy that one didn't take very long at all. And you didn't make a really big mess. I'd say we got a win. And it does lessen how often you're getting a triggering a response. Because I think sometimes a parent or a teacher can be the antecedent. They can be the one causing that friction and make everything massively bigger with good intention. Like, I think they don't do it intentionally to make the kid upset, but unintentionally upsetting them by being the trigger. And I think there's also another twofold piece there of... Mm-hmm. There's a natural inclination when a kid's having a tantrum to either want to leave them on their own until they're done with it or be in there and constantly badgering them so that they'll get over it quicker. And both of those behaviors actually make it longer. And I've actually found that sometimes just being in the room, not saying anything, not doing anything, just making sure they're not alone... And they're okay. making sure that they know that even if they're having the worst of all tantrums, you still love them. You'll still be there for them. But then you don't try to fix the problem because they're not ready to fix the problem. No. And And they don't want to talk about it either. Yeah. And so you just give them time. And when they calm down, they'll be ready to talk about it and do it. But they will also feel valued because when I'm at my worst, you're still... You're still there. Um, My wife was talking the other day and she talked about like rebellion with parents and how it's like testing limits to see what we can get away with and everything like that. And she's like, I actually think it's the flip. It's testing to see how far I can go and they still love me. Oh, she's brilliant. That is really smart. And she was like, and so sometimes they just want to see that even if I really screw up, you'll still be there. You'll still have my back. Right. And when we don't, when we isolate from them, that teaches them, if I do something really bad, I can't go to them. They won't love me enough to help me work through it. And so we have to find that space to Mm -hmm. show that even if I'm really frustrated, even if I'm like angry and I want to just lash out myself, Mm -hmm. love for you is the most important thing in this moment. I have to say, though, I'm going to put this out there just purely because I want someone to understand that if they are on a point, though, that they are going to lose it, they probably do need to leave because the last thing we want is a parent that is overstressed, over-emotional, taking care of the situation. Now, maybe there can be somebody on the sidelines, but not everyone has someone on the sidelines. So I don't want people out there to think that you have to stay in there if you do not feel like you can safely be in there without being more of a, a trauma. Go outside and take a break. Because that's going to be better than having um, something more serious happen because both are on edge. I just wanted to put that out there. And I think that's important to say because I'm fortunate enough to have backup. 
mm-hmm. in the form of my so life. My. There were times where she would come to me and she'd say, you need to leave right now. She's good. I will take care of it because she was like, you're escalating things and he doesn't need escalation right now. And so then Smart. I would step away. I could take five to ten minutes to clear my like aggression to complete my so cycle. to regulate yourself and then once i'm there i can come back in and mm-hmm. be that loving parent who's very patient and loving and understanding mm-hmm. but in that moment when i just need the 10 minutes to fix it's not there and so if i were doing it alone i would be like you'd be better off going out taking 10 15 minutes yes to fix yourself and then come in as that loving parent and be like hey i didn't leave you because i don't love you i left you because i need to make sure that i'm ready to be a loving parent mm-hmm. and now i'm here and i'm here to stay till you're better mm-hmm. than to be so insistent I'm never gonna leave my kid alone that then you create an arena where right. they're where they hate you and they're like I want you to leave because you're making it worse yeah we want them to still feel safe yeah. all around okay so let's talk about how you found out what's your story about when you discovered that you had autism so I had been a teacher for multiple years um, I had not been able to keep a job for more than like a year at a time. Part of that was the economy at the time, but part of it as well is I was very, very difficult to work with. Um, I had a tendency to say things that would make my bosses angry. And so while, they, while they'd be like, you're a good teacher, they're like, you're also very difficult to work with. And so they didn't really want me there and everything like that. And I was, and I, and I never blamed myself. It was always these bosses are horrible. Like if they were even remotely competent, then they would keep me. Everything would be great, and they just let me do what I want to do because I'm amazing. Yeah, and so forth. Of course and you are. I I went to this training, uh, specifically for teachers learning how to deal with autistic students better because we're getting more and more of them as we go along. You do know that, in my in my opinion. Well, my never mind. Go ahead. We're getting more and more. It's because we're diagnosing more frequently. And we see more signs of it. I just didn't know if you wanted me to get into it. I think we're getting getting more of a... Better at diagnosing. And and seeing earlier signs of it. I just didn't want people to think that I'm joining in on the epidemic side of it because I am not. I think it's been always there. And like you... And like I'm sure many other adults who never really were diagnosed until they're being an adult... I just wanted to throw that out there so they so know where I'm that, coming from. That was that. the message that the district was teaching us. Oh, gotcha. We have an epidemic coming of this. Right, and, and I don't. I'm not with that. It. Right. Yeah. So, so we're sitting in this meeting, and they're going through a list of things that, like, are behaviors that autistic children will do, mm-hmm. and they're going through this list, and it's like the first thing on the list I'm like oh I do that and the second thing on the list oh I do that third thing on the list oh I do that and they had a list of like 26 things and every single one of them I was like I do that but then I was like and and I was really ignorant at the time because I associated autism with like really low functioning status banging your head against the wall sensory um, problems not talking like just the i I can't take care of myself can't function in a regular class for now somebody to take care of me the rest of my life because i am incapable of functioning for myself yeah and so i'm sitting there and i'm like that's why it's a spectrum (laughs) yeah and and i was like so how is it possible that i'm everything on this list but i am not any of those things i was a straight a student i was valedictorian in my high school I'm very intelligent. I'm pretty crappy at reading body language. And so I've had to find, I've had to find other ways to figure out what people are thinking and feeling. But I was like, how is this possible? So I actually raised my hand and I was like, is it possible to have a really smart kid who's autistic? <laughs> and the, the director. I'm, like, like, so, I'm sorry. I have to 
the laughers. That is so great. <laughs> Guarantee that's never, ever happened, or at least where they're asking for themselves. Yeah. All right, go. So, so the director was like, yeah, actually, high-functioning students who are autistic, it's called Asperger's. And she was like, and they're actually our favorites because our test scores go through the roof because of these kids. And so we love our Asperger's kids. Um, thinking back on it now, I'm actually really annoyed she said what she did. I was like, right. that's such a horrible way to classify. Well, and that's in the book. That's one of the reasons they wanted Jesse there on a, a in-school suspension. It was state testing. They wanted him there so that he could have the scores high. I, I take offense to that to myself. Yeah. So I like... At the time, I didn't know nearly enough to be offended, but I'm very offended by what they said now, now that I know more, everything like that. And so I was like, okay, there's this new word, Asperger's. I need to figure out about that. And both my mom and my sister have had done some autism research by this time in like degree programs you're working with, things like that. So I called both of them and I was like, so I think I'm Asperger's. And my sister, who was the one doing the uh, degree program in it and everything, she's like, yeah, I've known that for years. <laughs> and then my mom. You're all helpful. Thanks. When I, when I spoke to my mom, she said, yeah, your sister and I talk about it all the time and, and we've felt that for years. So they couldn't say anything to you about it. Well, and they said to me, they were like, you're so prideful and arrogant that if we had told you you were you would have done everything in your power to prove you're not just that's to, probably true actually yeah, yeah. I, I don't, you had to discover it yeah, on your i own. don't think i would have ever accepted it by somebody else telling me it had to be me figuring out oh my goodness there's some problems here and the best explanation is what i'm seeing right in front of my face and so that created a really difficult period of time because i went from feeling like i was incredibly intelligent incredibly like successful, capable, like the optimal person you would want in your organization to all of a sudden feeling broken. Like there was something wrong with me and not knowing how to fix it. Well, I think it doesn't help that you were in a place where they were training on the topic and it was kind of treated like it was broken and a problem. Yeah. Is, is probably the greatest tragedy of your story. Continue. Yeah, so like the whole point is is that these kids can't function in the normal world and so we have to accommodate them. And we have to do all these little things to help them be successful because they won't be successful if we don't. Which we know is not true, by yes. the way. Well, and, and, and even as they were saying it, I didn't believe it because I was like, I am a successful person. I'm a grown adult. I'm mm -hmm. successful and I'm autistic. Mm -hmm. So I'm living proof that what you're saying is bullcrap. Mm -hmm. But... Like, but, but there's still, it, 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 when you figure something like this out, like you think your life is something. And then in one, one hour meeting, your whole life gets flipped on its head. All of a sudden you feel like there's something wrong with you and you start reevaluating all your relationships and you start saying, was the reason I couldn't hold a job because I was autistic is the reason why sometimes marriage is difficult for me because I'm autistic is the reason making friends sometimes yeah. was hard for you yeah like if i remember my right. biggest fear going to college was that i wouldn't make any friends because friends is once i make a friend i'm like yeah for life super close mm -hmm. for life but making friends was incredibly difficult and i was scared to death of that and all of a sudden i'm like is the reason i could never make friends because i'm autistic and all of a sudden i'm like oh my goodness i am such a broken human being how do i even function and i kind of shut down a bit i because, remember because i was just like i don't know what to do with my life now and I, and I don't know how to get better. 
And at the time, there wasn't a lot of like adult diagnostic uh, stuff to, to like prove and show you are or to even say, and here's what you do if you know you are. It was literally just, I, I was like, I know I am because I'm all 26 of those things on the list. But if I go tell people I am, they would assume that I'm not and they would assume I'm crazy. And the reason they would assume that is because people who have Asperger's, they become really, really good at mimicking behavior. Mm -hmm. And so they become so good that in normal everyday life, you wouldn't notice it. When you notice it is when they're presented with something that's not typical of normal everyday life. Where they haven't seen that kind of modeling, they don't know how to mimic it. Right. And so then you get the tantrum. Right. And adult tantrums look different than kid tantrums, yes. but there would be adult tantrums. It would be well, not all the time, because yeah. if they if they're, and I only say that because there are ones that the they're not Aspergers, but that can they can hurt people if they don't figure out how to regulate themselves. Yeah. Just to throw that out there, because yeah. I do know that there's people out there that are struggling because they have grown up uh, children or they're grown up themselves and they know that they struggle with it. Um, it they can still, but we like it when they don't. We like. Anyway. Well, and for me, my tantrum was when the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism would kick into effect. Uh-huh. So whenever I was presented with something that I didn't have a memorized response to, I would either get really aggressive and difficult, which isn't good when you're in an employment situation, or I would just leave the situation. So sometimes I'd be talking to somebody and be like, hey, I got to go, and i just walk away because I don't know how to do that and I'm scared to death that my autistic response is going to actually hurt this relationship that's very important so I'll just leave the situation or and this is the one that's the scariest and the most damaging and the, and the and one that I very frequently went to is freeze I just shut down I'd stop talking I'd stop interacting we could be in the same room and I'm disconnected disconnected from everything and that's often what I chose Um, I actually a lot of times would come home and just play video games for hours on end because I was really stressed out about the social interactions of the day and rather than trying to process and get better it was easier to just freeze and just go into a game that's not autistic me that's whatever I want it to be and go slay fictional monsters because that gives me an endorphin rush makes me feel good about myself and then I don't have to deal with these difficult things in life but then that's hard for everyone else in your life is that what you discovered that other people were like listen you still have me to be social with people want a connection out of me and the more that I would freeze or the more that I'd run away the less connection there would be and all of a sudden I have a wife who's raising my kids on her own because I've completely checked out from parenting and I'd have a workplace where like other people are taking care of things I should be taking care of because I've checked out and it still has to get done Mm -hmm. and that's not who I am I don't like being that but during that period of brokenness I didn't see any other way what's amazing to me I told you about my PowerPoint that it presented to my to my class when I was a teacher and I was going over this whole presentation I was great they were really um, tying into how they connect with all these historical modern people who are either rumored to be or are diagnosed on the spectrum and I did what you did at that meeting and I started ticking myself off now I don't know but there's a very good chance that ADHD is not just the only thing that I have um, going for me because I realized I was checking off a number of things myself. Had a little mini meltdown myself. I had to like take a break 
But when you talk about the fight, flight, or freeze, that was me because I was having a very difficult time feeling very, very broken. So I was running when it got really, really hard. And I was like, I can't do this. And I was also freezing. I was like, I just had no emotion and I shut down. And I thought, I'm not giving you anything from me. And now that you say that, I'm like, maybe I really am onto something <laughs> that I am, but I'm, I'm a fighter too. And my aggression comes across as um, not always the way to handle things. And now that I'm looking at it, that is exactly what was going on. I think it's interesting because it's very plausible because I have three sons and I think a daughter that have autism. So it's not like it's far-fetched that it might have, and we have a family history of that. So not far-fetched, but that's interesting. And so I need to throw this out as well. Okay. And I'm going to apologize in advance if I piss off a bunch of your audience in saying this. So you can just say I'm crazy. You can say whatever you want because it's my show and and you're here as a guest. So you just say This is the thing is... um, that aggressive fight is healthy and good and important. And we sit back and try to like, like force it out of people or medicate mm-hmm. it out of people or act like having emotions is somehow bad or wrong or mm-hmm. not there. And emotions are neither good or bad. They're just emotions. Mm-hmm. They are symptoms that something is wrong with your spirit, your body, your soul, whatever it may be, it's no different than pain if you cut yourself. It's like, don't keep touching the cut, it hurts. Mm -hmm. And it's like when we get anger or we get sad or we get, there is something wrong and the body's telling us, don't keep doing that thing. Because it hurts. Mm -hmm. Fix the problem. And so instead of healing the wound, we want to just put in some painkillers, pretend like nothing's wrong, and then keep doing damage to that wound that's yes. there. And it's like, and we need to be feeling our emotions. We need to be processing our emotions. We need to be learning what those emotions are telling our body. Mm-hmm. And it will make us better and we'll have less emotional outbursts because we will learn a healthy way to process. But when you push them down and push them down and push them down, and then you have three years of emotions built up, they explode mm-hmm. and they explode in very unhealthy ways. Yeah, they do. And so as a result, like you talk about how like sometimes people are uncomfortable because you go into the fight mechanism. Mm-hmm. Well, we should be more comfortable with people going into that realm mm-hmm. in the world the way it is. We would be healthier if we let people cry, mm-hmm. let people yell, let people feel emotions. Yeah, you know, it's funny when I... Bef- because I figured out how to let my emotions out to, to deal with the emotion, I guess I should say, in 2019. I was, I was really figuring out how to get all that off my chest, stop carrying it on my back. So I have to say that and since then, when I get upset or when I'm angry, I tend to get really quiet. I don't get loud, although I'm a loud person, so people think I'm yelling, but I'm not because I'm just loud. But I, when I'm the most angry is when I become the most controlled because I want it very clear that my emotions are mine and I'm not going to allow someone else, one, to take credit for my emotion and two, to see it. So I deal with it, but I deal with it in the car when I'm blasting, you know, classic rock. I'm listening to the doors really loud with my windows down. That's when I let it all out, I have to say. And I have cried driving home and wondered how did I get through that because I wanted so badly to um to blush out to be angry do you find a coping mechanism or do you kind of get loud 
in when you're still dealing with people? Because I, I have figured out a way to manage so I can still be upset and not be upset. What do you do? So I think the most important thing is that you're processing. So if you're going in the car and crying, you're still processing. Right. You're still completing that emotional cycle, allowing it to pass mm-hmm. through. Because emotions don't want to stay forever. They no. want to move they on. They want to get out. I, I read this phenomenal book, and they talked about how emotions don't want to stay forever. They want to move on. But when you stop them in their cycle and you don't allow them to go all the way through, then they stay. Mm-hmm. And they build and they get more difficult. And there's nothing more obnoxious than when, you, when you're when you around somebody who will not let that emotion go. Yeah. And the one I'm talking about is more anger or hatred. When that becomes the center focal point of every conversation and everything they're feeling, I don't think it's healthy. It's kind of annoying too. Well, and I think the defining characteristic of people who've done that is that they don't want it to go. Mm-hmm. And so instead of like stopping they're, the cycle. They're because, embracing because it. Because they like aren't ready to deal with it, they're stopping the cycle because they don't want it to go away. Right. And then it builds or, and builds and builds. Or and they don't know how good it feels to have it gone. Yeah. Because that's what they have. Exactly. Okay. They, they live in that They way. need it validated, and I don't need to validate it. But the, 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 the way that I would challenge you in terms of your story is how different would the world be if you could sit in this meeting that you felt like you had to be in control for your own sake, mm-hmm. and you could instead sit, raise your voice and be like, no. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Oh, you're wrong on this one. I am passionate about this. This is important. I'm raising my voice because it's important you know how important I would raise my voice like that. Yeah. Like I would definitely raise like I raise it like this because I have a loud voice. But I never get where I'm like cuz I've gotten like that before but not in meetings but I don't get belligerently like ah I can't do that. I can't even do that to myself really. Um so I do I don't even want to do that anywhere when I'm getting crazy and belligerent. But I, I find it very difficult when I spend a lot of time knowing something, being on an expert level and being told to be silent. And that's when I'm like wanting to raise my voice and say what needs to be said. So I'm driving home crying, not because I'm sad, but because I'm angry. Because instead of hearing what I'm trying to present, I'm shut down and shut off. That was the problem that I was having more recently when I was dealing with all of my emotions of fighting and flighting and, and freezing. And that is a shame because the only reason I was told to stop was because I was making everyone else in the room uncomfortable with the fact that I sternly felt and I was firm and direct in my approach and was taken as something of anger when really it was just me saying, that's not gonna happen or that shouldn't happen. And that was the problem that I was having for me. So let, let's take back. a step, mm-hmm. step back to the new Jared. Um, the reason he's doing this tantrum 
is because he feels like I'm being taken advantage of and I don't have enough of a voice to defend myself. And so he speaks up. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't feel like he's getting listened to or he's being ignored or put off, he gets louder. He gets more mm-hmm. aggressive. And he will keep getting louder and more aggressive until you hear the words that are coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. So the problem is that we don't do enough listening. Yes. And anytime somebody says something that makes us uncomfortable, we want to shut down all conversation. That's what happened. We want to freeze because it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it would actually be infinitely better to say, okay, take two minutes be angry, yell, make your point, and then let's talk about what you said. Mm -hmm. And then you start processing it. And what you would find is if you had that, the first 20 seconds of that two minutes, you're going to be yelling, but then you're going to go into a calm voice because you're being heard. Right. The only reason you were loud and firm and all those kind of things is because you weren't being heard. Right. So the problem is not the emotions. The problem is the way we react react to emotions. And our society is so uncomfortable with emotions that... We shut down any conversation that might elicit emotion. Yeah. Or or not to upset someone. Or we medicate anybody who might feel any yes. emotions because emotions are bad and should be avoided. Yes. And that is just simply not true. Oh, I, I agree. It's not true at all. Um, okay. So is there anything else you wanted to share with this? Because when we're done, we're going to bring Julie in and we're going to do a little talking about he seemed normal. The book that's on in Amazon, um, you can buy it today. It's no longer pre-order. You just buy it, read it. You'll love it. Okay. So I think it's important. Um, I talked about the broken phase. I think it's important to talk about the breakout phase because that was a very important step, and it's one that's actually taken years. There was initial things, and then later on there were others, but that breakout phase is important. And I like to refer to it as the I'm a superhero phase. Because when you hit the breakout phase, all of a sudden you begin to realize there's things that I can do that nobody else can do. Because my brain works differently than everybody else does. So yeah, I have a really hard time reading body language. I have a really hard time if I'm in a party with 20 people around, not being incredibly self-conscious and just wanting to leave immediately because I'm so uncomfortable with the environment, everything like that. But there are so many times that people have come to me and it's like, I'll say something like, I never thought about it from that point of view. Mm-hmm. And it's because their brains don't work that way. Of course right. they're not going to think that way. We need more people who think that way to give the outside the box ideas that we don't ever get because it's something that's there. And well, so, not only that, but also because we need them there because they're really great leaders and they have really successful, innovative ways to think. I yeah. think that maybe if we did more listening to people with minds that think differently, we would have all an incredible um, outcome. And I think that's really what everyone needs to realize and if we stop treating them as broken and instead said you are a superhero and 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 every superhero i'm a big fan of like superhero comics everything like that in every story there's that moment where the superhero figures out their powers and they don't Mm -hmm. know how to control it and Mm -hmm. they and they make a bunch of mistakes but then over time they refine the process or harry potter yeah or for those that like it yeah they, they refine the process they get better and better at it and eventually they're so good at it 
that they can do incredible things mm-hmm. that save lives. They're the, be- the best of the best. Yeah. And so when we have these people to do that, it's really difficult when they don't know how to use their powers. Mm-hmm. And, and children with autism, they have a superpower that they don't know how to use. Right. And well, and I did that in the classroom when I said, okay, if it's too hard because you have autism, then you can either do it till it's not hard and it becomes easier and then you are the best of the best in your field or you can not do it because it's hard and you have autism. Either way, you're doing it because you have autism. You can be the best because you have autism and you did hard things. And I put that quote in my book too. Go ahead. And so as a result, like I had to understand the negatives of what I was Mm -hmm. and the positives of what I was. And as I've refined the process, I've learned that I can walk into a room with a bunch of important people discussing the best way to do something Mm -hmm. And I'm very often the one suggesting an idea that seems a little out of the box, but, but they it listen. works and it's good. And we should be valuing that. We should be building that. I agree. We should be moving forward with that. And once you figure that out, then, yeah, I'm different from everybody. And thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Because of- want to do this again with me? Oh, anytime. Oh, anytime. fantastic. That's what I want to hear. I just wanted to... Uh, Thank you for doing this with me. I hope you guys all enjoyed what we had to present tonight, today, tonight, whatever. And uh, we'll bring back Julie. All right. I am sitting here with Julie, Jesse's aunt, who is featured in the book, He Seemed Normal, now available on Amazon. So uh, buy it today so you can read it. Let's talk. I wanted to have a discussion with you as someone that has actually been in the process with me. What... What would you like to say about that event? Do you want do you want to tell about the event? Like just what I remember most about yeah, it? Yeah, why don't you whatever emotion or whatever memory of of what happened you want to share, let's talk about it. Probably the most distinctive thing I think was just the feel of the adults mm-hmm. all the, through the process that I felt very I almost was made to feel like a kid as well. It was like all of these adults mm-hmm. were all just kind of standing around in sort of silence and not, dismissive. Yeah, because they're so, dismissive with me, but I didn't know if it's because I was so the much, mom. I wouldn't say it was so much dismissive, so much as it, I, I, the best way I could describe it is just sort of air of judgment. Oh, that, gotcha. That I'm walking into something and nobody seemed to really want to um, inform or educate me as to what was even going on. Mm-hmm. It was like you're just here to pick up this problem mm-hmm. and get this problem out of our, uh, you know, out of our faces, out of our, and and it was very. The best way I can describe it is, you know how like when you just kind of know that everyone in the room gets the joke and you yeah, don't have, exactly, you don't know it <laughs> exactly. Every everyone knows right. what the same thing and you don't, you're not in on it. Exactly, you're the outcast. Okay, exactly. like everyone just kind of has has a play going on here, mm-hmm. and you're the only one that doesn't know, mm-hmm. and they ain't gonna tell you. And it's not in Practical Jokers either. No, no you're not no, gonna no. get let, on, let in on the the climax of the joke because you are the joke. Right. And so this whole time I'm going through it. I oh, time out for just one second. Yeah, yeah. Um, just so you all know, we're talking about something that happens in the book, and I don't want to divulge it because it's probably one of the more intense moments other than when I had we both had the same moment at different times um, we just need you to know that Jesse was not really 
accepted that day in school and they did not want him there but if you want to know exactly what happened you're gonna to have to get the book and read it because it's it's worth it i promise okay go so without giving too much detail on that essentially you can give some, I mean, essentially, then they'll want it essentially it's it's i didn't know what was going on they mm-hmm. didn't want to tell me it was clear kind of like we're doing let now. me in right um but at one point the, the pivot point for me from going from just completely clueless and just, I don't, I don't know why I'm here other than to, I just need to pick them up. Mm-hmm. Right? You can even um, give details now that I think about it. Cause okay. I want them to read it. Uh, okay. Go. So uh, essentially I, I get a phone call. I need to go pick up Jesse from school. Right. And um, I was not available. Yeah, there's yeah. Parents weren't available. I needed to go and get him and I was an emergency contact. I need to go get him and no other information was given to me. So I'm walking into a situation I have no idea mm-hmm. about. And and again, I, that feeling that everybody's just kind of in on the joke and you're not. Mm-hmm. The the really for me the point when it suddenly clicked for me as mm-hmm. to what was and it actually really infuriated me mm-hmm. um, was when there was a, a verbal exchange that made it clear and obvious to me that this wasn't a response to we're always told you know that people who have our kids and everything that they have their best interests at heart right and they're they're there because they love kids they yes. help them and that's that's just our mentality going into it, is that they want the best for our kids so right. when a situation like this comes up you just kind of assume that they're wanting the best for him that something happened it wasn't the best for him so the best thing for him is to just get him home right mm-hmm. and it, this particular verbal exchange that happened um made it very clear to me that this was not at all about Jesse's well-being. Right. This was this was about, um, dare I say, an agenda. That's probably the best way I could put it. They, I think that's a was, really good way to there put was, it. There was an agenda here, and mm-hmm. that's what this was about. And everybody, it seemed, all the adults, suddenly that sort of, that sort of, um, I said, I was almost made to feel a bit like a child. Mm-hmm. And not because I was necessarily, like, verbally treated that way, but it's just, when you're a kid... All the adults around you just seem so big. Right. You know, have, you, have you ever visited your elementary school, like, later on as an, in adulthood? I taught like, at my elementary school. Right, exactly. <laughs> and you walk through and you're like, man, everything seems so much bigger when I was Yes, and everyone reminds you that you used to be little at that right. school. And you're like... Yeah, and mm-hmm. I have memories of, like, in elementary yeah. school, things just seemed a lot bigger. And when I went mm-hmm. back as an adult, they weren't that big. And yet I'm walking into this school that I had been in plenty of times. Right. I mean, I, I had... Uh, done work in various in various roles you know at this same sort of school right. and things like that and so it's i'm not new to this school right and i've been there plenty of times and yet this time it just felt different this time i was walking was it really in thick and like, i was yeah i was not walking in as an adult here it was like psychologically i felt like i was walking in as, as a kid mm-hmm. with these really big adults around me yes because that was the the air of judgment that i was getting that everybody just seemed to be in on this agenda and and I and it didn't and and I wasn't really let in on it and I think I was kind of accidentally let, let in, in on it, it. Mm-hmm. um and and when I realized it that was what was really infuriating yeah yeah well and and I'm I'm just gonna lay it out when they took you to him I I have a question because there was a police officer involved yes. and I want to put that out there because I think it needs to be understood that we're talking about not just once. He had a police officer in his safe spot to calm down, may I add. It was his calm down space, correct? The room that he can, or was he not in that room with you? Because with me and the police officer, he was in his safe space to, to melt down. 
I I actually don't know what his safe space safe space room was. Okay. So I actually don't know if the room I got him in was was that. It was a couple of doors down from his classroom. I know it wasn't actually his classroom. Then that, that was yeah, yeah. very likely like I was. I'm sure he was in his safe space to to calm down, which made me more furious as a mom going in than I would have been even if it was just on the corner. Right. Yeah. No, this wasn't, this was in a classroom, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it was an empty one, right? Pretty much. I only remember there being adults in there. When I walked in there, there was no other students. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, there's definitely no students because that would be a bad thing in a public school. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it must have been. So how did they accidentally give you the inclination? This was an exchange between the officer uh-huh. and one of the teachers. Uh-huh. And, and that's the other thing, too, is I was introduced to She no was the one. assistant principal. Oh, you it? didn't okay. know that at the time. Yeah, I, I was, knew it was. I was not introduced to anybody. Well, they're not going to so, introduce themselves. Right. But. So I'm walking into a room of adults, and I can only assume that these are all teachers. Right. You know. Well, because they all are. Right. They right. all have their certificate. So, but no, it was, a, it was an exchange between the officer and I guess the assistant principal. But it was one of the adults... Uh-huh. In authority, who seemed to have the most authority in this situation. Yeah, so she was. Right, right, right. Yeah, so I was right. So, um, and do you want me to share? Yeah, hey, share okay. because I want people to read the book. And if they can hear this, then that's going to tell them that they want to read the book. Because right. what school would go to this level? And what possibly could he have done? Get the book at Amazon. He seemed normal, and you'll find out what he did. Go. Right, so. Um, Amongst all of this, we had to wait for him. I think he was eating, they, you know. So um, by the time we got to the point that he was ready to, to go, um, the officer um, talked to whoever this, this one was. And and basically, had I not been looking at him, mm-hmm. I, I probably would have missed it, which is why I say I think it was accidentally let in on right. this. Right. I don't think he intended on saying this in front of me mm-hmm. or me, but he basically was saying that, okay, here's this report, you know, here's this information so that you can make a report on it so that we can start the process to, and uh, kind of made this little, like, you're out thumbs sign. up kind of, like. It was the you're out the, Yeah, the, like, you're out, like, we're going to get this kid kicked type of thing. And when I saw that, I was just like, whoa, mm-hmm. okay, wait a minute. What did I just walk into? Right. And what, and suddenly it, it suddenly, suddenly it was let in on the right, joke. Suddenly, like, the light bulb went off, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. suddenly I understand mm-hmm. the mood of uh, the mood I'm walking into here because the mood was just so, like, just, I don't know, somber. And like I said, so big and intimidating, like I was this kid. Right. Like, if I was the one in trouble. And suddenly I understood the tone of everybody mm-hmm. around me. It was like, okay, I mean, we've got one child, and I remember at least. Officer, to I, I remember at least four you wrote, yeah. So you wrote down a number of them, I just don't remember what number it was. Yeah, I from my memory and recollection, I remember at least four adults throughout this process, which is crazy being around the, in the same room as him. Mm-hmm. And I, and like I said, when I saw that motion and I saw that exchange, and I, I thought, okay, that's what's going on here. We have multiple adults with one little kid in here, right? And it's just intimidating. And I thought. Oh my goodness! Like they're trying like, to get him out. No, I'm I'm about to say something that's probably going to get me in trouble <laughs> because I have very I have many many loved ones uh-huh. in, in the profession. Yes. So this is I'm I'm not going to be liked after this. 
Mm-hmm. But it's been my experience. I, yes. I grew up in the public school system. Hey, I have you say it, girl, because I was a teacher and I yeah. won't be because probably a lot of what you have to say, so say yeah. it. So I I am not a stranger to the public school, whether right. I grew up in it, I worked many jobs in right. it, I've done... A lot of family a does lot it. Of, yeah. And there are exceptions. I will Yes, I will always, always There's always exceptions. exceptions. Mm-hmm. Nothing is ever one size fits all. But yes. by and large, it has been my personal experience that there is a personality type that seems to be drawn into this profession. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say, I think it is interesting that we have the conversations we do about things that go on in schools and the way that kids treat each other and the yep. way they're... Bullying is a huge problem. There is a personality type, and I'm telling you, so many of them are power trippy, and mm-hmm. they are bullies. I have to tell you, from someone that used to be a teacher... That is the reason I could no longer be a teacher because it is a class. There's a certain class of those that are the elite cliques. And then there was me eating lunch in the dark room, sometimes inviting students in at lunch to help them study for their test. That was me. And I was not, I didn't, I wasn't versatile. And I want to say with all the teachers that I've worked with, there are a number of them that are not like that, but you're right. The louder ones, the ones that make more of a scene in meetings and have more to say are those ones. Yeah. The ones that seem to be kind of the driving force of of practice, right? Policy, right? They're just loud enough that it seems like it's more than. And so I suddenly like that had always been my experience, and so walking into this, it just infuriated me because I was just like, we have Mm -hmm. multiple adults in a room with a child, and and he was third grade. Yeah, and I'm sitting here thinking, oh my goodness, you guys are all bullies. Mm -hmm. And I just I was appalled, and so. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I remember having a conversation with, I actually remember a bit more the conversation I had with Jesse and the Connolly home. Yes. But, um, which, you know, read the book. Yeah, but, read the book. <laughs> but um, Good plug. But yeah, I just, I, I was appalled. And, and in some ways not surprised, quite frankly, that said with the experience yeah. that I, I had, but, but just appalled. Mm-hmm. So was I. And the, the, the glorious part... And it's in the book. He seemed normal on Amazon. Buy it today. Um, What happened with me when I went was glorious because I went not going. I went there with the intention of not being bullied and not even to be the one bullying, but simply to take my son home. And it was wonderful the way that I handled the situation with the officer and what happens. And I, I want people to read it so they can hear um, the transition, or they can see the transition in the book of when I knew nothing about autism at all, and I have this sun melting down to this pivotal moment where I know you had already gone through it, and now they're putting me through it. And the way that I handled it, I give myself a high five all the time when I think about it. It was the hardest part to write in the book. That's why I used your email for your part of as most of it because it was so emotional and I didn't know. But when I had to write about me going to that school. I stopped so many times because I kept crying and then I couldn't emotionally think about it. And I'm really glad that I got it done. So um, any other thoughts about what we did with Jesse? Yeah, on that day? Any day, (laughs) any day in general, because you knew him and you saw the process. You saw that it was a really hard number of years. And you even had them, when I mentioned in the book that I went to Canada. And I went and saw their dad. And you had you had them then too. So you've had moments with him. What's your what's your final thoughts on? I think 
particularly about about Jesse. Jesse has always had a special place in my heart and always will, mm-hmm. quite frankly. Um, and in some ways, my own son is is very similar to him. And yes. I think there's a lot of lessons I learned um, with with Jesse that um, that have helped me with my own son. Mm-hmm. And I. It, it kills me. It really does. It kills me some of the stuff that Jesse went through because I, I wasn't, while I was there in the sense that, that, you know, we lived near each other, you know, I was, and I babysat them, you know, we're, we're part of each other's lives, but obviously I didn't, I didn't live it quite as intimately as, as you did, right. obviously. But pretty close but, because you spent a lot of time at our house. You spent a lot of time hearing what I was, was happening when Jared would help me study for the math test that I had to take or we would watch a show and have dinner as as you guys and us you spent a lot of time so it kind of was you and Brian was on the road a lot yeah um it just it absolutely kills me a lot of what he went through and and I mean I I as a parent now I tend to do things pretty unconventionally Mm -hmm. pretty not very mainstream um but but a part of that part of that is in some ways because of Jesse, mm-hmm. because I saw what he went through. And, I, and, and so with, with my own son being similar, mm-hmm. I, I just can't do that. Mm-hmm. I just can't, you know, I have to, like, these kids are so special and Jesse is so incredible. And my gosh, I can't, I mean, it astounds me the, the young man he's become. Mm-hmm. And all that he had to really go through. He's and, fantastic. And um, and it, it just seems like a lifetime ago. It makes makes me feel old. Right. <laughs> because makes want, you feel old. I always remember just this sweet little boy, yes. you know. But um, but just seeing the young man that he is now, it just astounds me. Just what a survivor he's been. Yes. To a lot of this stuff that I just it, it breaks my heart just thinking about, and and so I just. I guess thank you, Jesse, for, <laughs> for making us better amazing, parents. Amazing for teaching us a lot of things. It is it, definitely mm-hmm. it's definitely made me a better parent. That's for sure. Um, yeah, and been it's made me a lot more. It has made me consider a lot more things in regards to my own son that I don't think mm-hmm. I would have considered had it not been for the experience I saw him go through. And I I'm more cognizant of what happened with him, with all my other kids that came after, even my two that don't speak. I, I handled I it very, very yeah. different than I would have if I had had them first. And it was a blessing. But that's just me. And I, 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 I shared this on another podcast, but it was in and out because I have really bad. So I want to share this with Julie because I wanted her to hear it. And I want you guys to hear it again if you missed it on the last one. But the, the thing that really killed me is when I was working on the final parts of the story, the book. And Jesse comes in, scares me, and he says, Mom... I'm never, I don't want to read your book. And I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings. It's just, I don't want to have to live through that again. But I'll always have one on my bookshelf because I'm very proud that you made it. And when he left the room, I just felt like I was dealing with so, I was in one of those really intense moments in the book where I was having a hard time writing. And I felt like I was this mom that had a bubble over my child to stop him from hurting and that I had to feel it instead. And I just sat there and I thought, how can I get past these like wounds that won't heal? I think finally having this done and I think being able to talk to you and talk about it has helped. And I just want to share that with you though, because he doesn't remember a lot, but he knows that he did not love it and that it was very hard. And so there, there it is out of his mouth. 
He's happy I did it, but doesn't want to read it. Well, that just gets you. <laughs> I know. It gets you big time because when I, the, the moment with me and his place, his place to calm down and the assistant principal and the, the police officer, I was finishing up that part and I was crying, sobbing, reading it. And he heard me reading it to um, whoever I was on the phone with. And he walked up to me and he just hugged me because I, I don't think he knew what else to do. And I don't think he was really listening to the words I was saying because I think Jesse's really good, like many kids on the spectrum or kids in general, to just tune out and kind of. But he saw that I was hurting and that I was emotional and that it hurt me to do it. And that meant a lot to have grown up 17 year old Jesse hugging me to let me know that I'm okay, even though I felt like I wasn't. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I was Jesse's primary teacher at church for a good number of years too. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, just such a kind, he's so kind hearted. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just so sweet. And I mean, it just seems like, um, I mean, it just, it seems so like contrary that you've got, you know, a child that struggles with all of this sort of like anger and meltdowns and just, and yet it's just the complete, I mean, it's the complete opposite of who he like genuinely is, mm-hmm. you know, he's just so, he's so sweet and he's so kind. Like I said, I, it really doesn't surprise me at all that, that, I mean, he'd, he'd feel that and yeah. thank you and, and know that. You know that he needed to let make sure I yeah. was okay. Yeah, yeah. He's just really is that genuine heart, and that, that's why I had to write the book. That's why you need to go to Amazon, and you need to look up. He seemed normal. Then there's a whole bunch of words after that that I can't remember, but it's it's pretty much about high functioning and discipline. So get the book, have it primed over to you, or I can pigeon it to you, and you need to read. He seemed normal so you can get what happened to Jesse and what was so terrible that he needed to have a police officer in a room with three other, four other adults and why his aunt had to feel like she was the enemy walking into fire. And uh, thank yeah, you so yeah, much. Fi- yeah, find out exactly what Because you, you, you want to read it. You'll be as infuriated as I was yeah. when I found out gonna, what caused that. You're going to love reading that. So thank you so much, Julie, for joining me and, and helping me with the emotions of it. And... We could do it again sometime. We could talk about whatever you want. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. This is Rachel, and this is my jam. I mean, I am Rachel, and this is my jam. Go to my website, www.autismjammerburst.com. Find all kinds of really cool things there. Thank you, and have a good day. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.